Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. You see what's behind me here. I don't know if any of you like to play board games. Anybody like to play board games? Some of you are like, what's a board game? I'm too young for that. Uh, yeah, I love playing board games. When I remember when I was younger and I would try to get my older sister, Charlotte, to, to play board games with me when I was a kid. Because I've always been like super competitive and she's wired the exact opposite of me. She's not competitive at all. She doesn't have a competitive bone in her body. But every now and then I would talk her into playing a board game with me. And so we would get about halfway through the game, usually when I was winning, and she would quit and just walk away. And that would tick me off. I mean, royally. It would make me so angry. Like, why don't you just finish the game? You know, especially when I was winning, it would make me mad. It always seemed to end up like this picture here when we would play. That's it. Because what would happen when she would quit, especially when I was winning, is I would pull a Jesus, I would get angry, and I'd flip the tables over, okay? And, uh, and of course, I ended up having to pick all that up after I got in trouble by my mom. But, um, Today, we're beginning a series called Playing Games, When Fun Turns Fatal. And we're going to talk and kind of see what the Bible teaches um, in the areas of greed, in the area of repentance, lust, idolatry, and self-righteousness. And we're going to apply what the Bible says in those areas uh, to our lives over these next five weeks. And so I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are as well. But I've always enjoyed board games, playing Monopoly or Clue or Life or Stratego or just a plethora of other board games. But now that I'm older, I am so lazy that I cannot bear the thought of having to set the game up and tear the game down. And so um, I just started buying like the video games that go along with this stuff so I wouldn't have to do that. You know, they got Monopoly and Life and, and all this stuff. So we just started buying those for PlayStation and, and playing those. And so that's been wonderful. It's, it's been a deal breaker. It does all the work for you. But the boys and I, we used to play for hours, especially when they were younger. And now that they're older, they've kind of quit playing because that's kind of one of the only things I can beat them at. But Maddox is super competitive, and so he'd rather play football than, than a board game, than Monopoly, you know. And Chase, he thought the money was real. And so, you know, when we would play and he found out that he wasn't getting any real cash, he got so disappointed, he just joined the Marines and moved to California. And uh, Carson, he likes playing the actual board game so much that he won't even play the video game. But unless you've got like 10 hours to spare to play Monopoly, you know, you, you can't play because it takes so long. But... Anyway, today we're just going to focus on what one of our favorite games teach. And if you like the classic board game Monopoly, I want you to know that this man up front here, Sterrett Crafts, okay, he can make you one of these tables. He has a Monopoly on these tables right here. Take a look at this. That's sharp, okay? He can make that if you want, to, if you want one, sort of. He, he said he couldn't do the legs like that, but uh, he can hook you up because that, that, that's sharp. But anyway, the root word of Monopoly is a word called monos. And what it means is singular or one. And you guys have all played the game Monopoly. You know that the goal is to acquire as much as you can for yourself at the expense of everyone else playing. And you know what? Throughout history, humans have been playing Monopoly long before the board game was ever invented, haven't they? Our scripture this morning is in Luke 12. If you want to open your Bibles there, or if not, the verses will be on the screen. 
But in Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus was preaching to thousands of people one day when this happens. Look at verse 13. He's preaching to thousands of people. Picture this in your head. And then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So Jesus was giving a warning about hypocrisy, and this guy just interrupts him while he's teaching to bring this up. I mean, what is going on in the heart of this guy that he would do something like that? Just picture, he's teaching, and this guy interrupts, asks this question. Don't you hate it when you're in a meeting, and you're so ready to get out of that meeting, and someone just keeps asking questions, raising their hand over and over, just prolonging the meeting when you're trying to get home. And so um, I, I got a diagram here to help guide us as to when you should ask a question in a meeting, especially like a faculty meeting. Look at this. Okay. I want you to take this to heart because I'm not joking. This is serious. You should really read this, okay? The answer is always no. Don't ask a question. Let people get out of there, okay? How many meetings have you sat through? And it's just like, will you please be quiet? I got to go home and get dinner ready, and here they go again, you know? But anyway, I, I am joking, but it's kind of true. So here what we have is Jesus talking to thousands of people. And this man thought this was the right time to ask this question. Look at verse 14. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of what? Greed. That's what we're talking about today. He said, life is not measured by how much you own. So the question I asked is, what kind of man would do this? What kind of man would interrupt and, and ask something like this? Well, the answer is a greedy one would. A greedy one would. You know, guys, greed can be fatal. There is a reason that Jesus tells this crowd, and us as well, to watch out for it, to, to guard against it. And what's ironic about it is, is that you and I would all agree with Jesus, wouldn't we? We would all agree with him. Most of us think that greed is bad and that it is a problem in our society. But the problem is this. Nobody thinks they're a greedy person. None of us sitting here are sitting there going, you know what? I am so greedy. We don't think we're greedy. We think that they're greedy. And the reason we don't think we're greedy is because we don't feel greedy. Right? You don't feel greedy. And since we live in a culture that is dominated by feelings, if I don't feel it, then it must not be true. But listen, guys, we've got to understand that greed isn't a feeling. It is something that we do. Greed, it's feeding an excessive desire for more. It's fueling an excessive desire for more and more, more and more money more and more property, more and more cars, more and more stuff. And so Jesus is talking here to a crowd that, that really understood some important guardrails that God had given them to protect them from greed. The crowd would have understood this Old Testament law from Leviticus chapter 19. Look at verse 9. They had the Old Testament. They knew this. And this is what it said. When you harvest the crops of your land... 
don't, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and don't pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Do, do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and don't pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. No, leave them for the poor and for the foreigners living among you. And then he says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, this was a simple way to kind of guide the people's hearts towards generosity. And it was also a way to give the poor an opportunity to maintain their dignity by working for their food. Now, this scripture here in Leviticus, this is not mono living. This is not about self. This is taking into account the needs of other people. And it honors God. I mean, there's a reason that command ended with, I am the Lord your God. Because we want to honor God, how? By the way that we honor other people. Well, go back to our story. If, if this guy wasn't already regretting interrupting Jesus, he's probably about to be because Jesus takes this opportunity to really hone in and take aim on what's really going on in this guy's heart. And he does what he would oftentimes do. He shares a parable. And you know that a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And here's what Jesus says in verse 16. Then he tells him a story. He, he said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And I want to stop right here and I want you to notice that the man in the story is already rich. And this is important because there's nothing wrong with being rich. Listen, being able to meet our needs and provide for our families and having the means to be generous those are good things, but please hear me. Good things can become dangerous things when they turn into ultimate things which make them destructive things. Did you get that? Good things can become dangerous things when they turn into ultimate things which makes them destructive things. But the things themselves, they, they're not the problem. It's not that money's the root of all evil, right? It's the love of money. But there's something else going on in this guy's heart, and we see what it is in this very next verse. Look at verse um, 17. Here's what he said. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. You see, he's just focused on himself. And, when, and what he should do with his stuff. I mean, you read through that passage, there is absolutely no room for, God, what would you have for me to do with the stuff that you've given me to manage? God, what's your will with all this? You know, I was talking to a, a family not long ago. They were about to make some drastic, major life changes and gave the reasons as to why, and this is going to happen because of that reason, this reason. And, and not one time I was sitting there thinking, did you say, but, but what does God say about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you asked what God's will is in this situation? Didn't hear it one time in about a 10-minute conversation. This guy didn't either. It's not, God, what would you have me to do with the stuff you've given me to manage? And, and the truth is, guys, he didn't even need to pray about it. Because God had already given the command from Leviticus on what to do with the abundance of his wealth. He could have just obeyed. Just do what God says. But it gets worse. Did you know that there's some things 
that you don't even need to pray about? You ever thought about that? Sounds crazy, but it's true. I mean, if God has commanded you and I to do something, just do it. Just do it. No need to pray about something that God has already asked you to do or to avoid something that God has already asked us to avoid. Let's just simply obey. And I know that sounds easy, and there probably are some times we need to pray, God, please give me the strength and courage to obey, and I get all that, but we know what to do sometimes. We just need to do it and stop putting it off by saying, let me pray about it, you know. Verse 18, then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Did you catch it there? I, I, I. Me, me, me. In verses 17 through 19, he refers to himself 12 times in those three verses by saying, I, me, or myself. I mean, you talk about selfish. I mean, it was all about him. And the scriptures tell us he was already rich. He had more than enough for himself. And instead of giving to the poor, he just hoards it and keeps it all for himself. And so can I just share with you this morning If you're more fortunate than other people, build a longer table, not a taller fence. Build a longer table, not a taller fence. Because listen, if you live your life, if that's how you're living right now, as if everything's about you, then in the end, that's all you're going to be left with is you. Right? If that's how you're living, you're being selfish like this guy was. In the end, you're going to look around and there's not going to be anybody there. It's just going to be you. What a sad way to live. The truth is we need to learn to be content. Because the the contentment is the opposite of greed, right? I mean, contentment is being thankful for what God has already provided. I mean, sometimes you've heard the song, Count Your Blessings, you know. Sometimes we just need to stop and look around and be thankful and just count our blessings for what God has already provided in our lives. I mean, contentment doesn't mean that you're never, ever going to want more. But it means that as you pray and you believe for the future, you trust God for his provision while thanking him for all he's done in the past. Because, guys, without contentment, we're driven to just get more and more and just take God for granted. And even worse, discontentment is often just unthankful and negative about our present circumstances. I believe that's offensive to God. I believe it's an attitude that he's not going to bless. And even though he loves us, like a good parent, he will reward those of us who are thankful and obedient. I don't believe that he's going to reward bad attitudes and rebellion. Well, one of the things that helps me in this area is we should always remember that there are always people who have it worse off than we do. No matter how bad that you think you've got it or you go through certain phases in life and you think, man, I don't know if it can get much worse than this. The bottom has just dropped out this week. There are always other people 
who have it better than us, and there are always other people who have it worse than we do. Listen, there are people, believe it or not, who would love to have your problems. There are. There are people in this world who would be blessed if they had the problems that you and I have. So we need to be thankful for what God has blessed us with. And we need to remember that we're not owners of anything. We are just managers of everything that God has entrusted to us. And so let's share those things like the early church did in the book of Acts and how they modeled for us on how to, how to share our possessions. Think about a wise guy named Solomon who had an enormous amount of experience in this area. He recorded in his journal for us in Ecclesiastes in chapter 5. Look at verse 10. He says this in, in verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard, those are the ones who sleep well, whether they eat a little or whether they eat much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. And in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. Guys, Solomon was a king who collected. He was the most blessed man in history. You, you think about Solomon's life when you read through the Bible. I mean, it was like Eden on steroids. I mean, if there was ever a man who we thought, that guy, he's got it all. It was Solomon. And I want you to look at 1 Kings in chapter 10, starting in verse 23. It says, So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation, they, they came to consult him and to hear the wisdom that God had given him. And year after year, everyone who visited, they brought him gifts of silver and gold and clothing and weapons and spices, horses and mules. Solomon built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. And so Solomon just accumulated and he didn't just accumulate material wealth. He also accumulated women, a thousand to be exact. Even though the Lord had warned him of the spiritual consequences of such a decision. I mean, can you imagine being inside the king's head, being inside Solomon's head, having all this stuff, waking up each morning going, man, I'm missing out. I am missing out. Something is missing. I mean, most of us sitting here thinking that, going, Lord, no, I'd be content if I had all that Solomon had, right? No, he thought he was missing out. I mean, at some point between wife number seven and wife number nine, and, and then again between wife number 450 and 451, Solomon bought the lie that he was missing something. And he didn't just buy the lie, he bought the promise behind the lie that many of us buy into as well. That you're missing out, and if you get what you're missing, then you'll be satisfied. Guys, that's the promise, and that's the lie. That you're missing out, and if you would just get what you're missing, you don't, everything would be good. You'd be satisfied. I mean, the truth is, we all know people who accumulate, don't we? Some of them might be sitting in this room. They have to have the latest and greatest. 
They upgrade homes continually. They trade in new cars for newer cars. And they just hoard a bunch of stuff in their garages. And we also know people who accumulate relationships as well, unfortunately. Because the truth is, guys, commitment is difficult. Marriage is scary sometimes. Divorce is all too common. And the reason is that you think you're missing out and that that next person is going to satisfy you. Man, we should learn. We should learn from Solomon that accumulators never, ever find true satisfaction. It's just a cheap substitute for that abundant life with Jesus the Bible talks about. But again, I don't want you to to miss what I'm saying. Money's not the problem. The love of money is. Wealth is not the problem. The love of wealth is. And it's kind of like trying to, to drink salt water when you're trying to quench your thirst. We know it's not going to work, and we know this to be true. We, we've watched the lifestyles of the rich and famous, haven't we? I mean, we, we can see that more money doesn't always equal more joy, more happiness, more satisfaction or fulfillment. I mean, we know this up here in our heads, but we have a hard time embracing it with our hearts. Because the truth is, guys, that most of us deep down, we believe that we would be the exception to the rule, don't we? We do. We think, man, I know what you're saying, but not me. Trust me. I'm good. I could handle it. I mean, I know how this works for most people, but it wouldn't work that way for me. Lord, Put me to the test. Give me that winning lottery ticket. Let me try this out, right? That's what most of us think because we would be okay. We wouldn't. I'm telling you, we wouldn't. Country singer uh, Chris Jansen wrote a song called Buy Me a Boat. You ever heard that? In which the lyrics say, I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. It could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 iced down with some A&W cream sodas. I think that's what it says. Or some beverage. I think it's, I'm not sure what that lyric said. but Yeah, and I know what they say. Money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, he says. But it can buy me a boat. Can I ask you a question? How much money do you need to be content and satisfied? And you don't even have to answer that loud because the truth is I already know the answer. I know the answer because it's everyone's answer. The answer is more. More. We just need a little bit more, even though the amount we make now is the amount that we would have said 10 years ago we needed in order to be satisfied, right? When you got that first job and and you were making $25,000 a year, you were probably way more content than you are right now. And then you thought, you know what, if I could just make $50,000 a year, I'd be satisfied. I wouldn't need anything. And now, guess what? You're making $50,000 a year, and how's that working out for you? Were you right? Are you satisfied and happy all the time? No. No. We always think we need just a little bit more to be content, to be happy, and to be satisfied. Guys, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not true. It's a myth. It's a myth. And the people that God has blessed tremendously, they're not immune to this lie. Dave just preached an incredible series on creation in Genesis 1 through 3 and Adam and Eve. And think about Adam and Eve. 
They had everything they needed in that garden, and they still fell for this lie. Think about what they were given in the Garden of Eden that you and I spend a lifetime chasing after. Okay, and I'll, I'll put this up on the screen here, Addison will. The first thing is they had an intimate, personal relationship with God. We all desire that. They were talking to and, and hearing from him. How wonderful it would be just to audibly speak with God throughout the day, right? And hear his voice audibly. They had that. A great lot, prime real estate they had. Some people would give up their right arm for a, a good piece of land, right? Well, they had it. They also had abundant resources. What in the world is going on here? I thought I was seeing stuff out of my peripheral there. Like, man, I've got to get my prescription fixed. They had abundant resources, including a river. Imagine a river going through your property of your land, and it says there was gold and precious stones in this land. Even more importantly than land, they had a calling and a purpose. How many people, how many people just craving for a, a purpose in their life? They were commissioned to take care of the garden. They had protection and boundaries that, that God had given them, providing safety. They had friendship, companionship, and, and physical intimacy. I mean, Adam and Eve were blessed, yet they still believed the lie. You know, guys, I found that the people who have more than others are prone to fall for this lie more than those who have less. They do. The man in our story who said he was rich, he believed the lie. He had a plan. You remember what his plan was? It said he was going to take life easy. He was going to eat, drink, and be merry and retire and live off of this enormous wealth that he had accumulated for himself with no worries. That was his plan. But his self-focus and his view of life, he thought it was going to pay off. But you know what? There was one problem with his, with his way of thinking. You know what it was? Reality. That was the problem. Reality. I mean, it seemed like it was working out well for him until one day it didn't. And everything in this story hinges on two powerful words that we talk about frequently. And you may have seen them while you're on the billboard as you're driving down the road. And in verse 20, it gives us those first two words when it says what? But God. But God. Oh yeah, remember him? I mean, guys, we can live our lives for ourselves, but that won't change the reality that there is a God and what we do with our one and only life, it matters. It matters to God. And I can just imagine this, this story here as it was taking place. I bet it got really, really quiet as the people listened to this exchange between Jesus and this rich guy. I bet it got really quiet when Jesus said, but God. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? I mean, this guy had spent his whole life on himself, denying God, or at least denying what God wanted him to do with his life. And in Psalm 14, 1, it names this kind of life. It calls it foolish. It says, only fools say in their heart, there's no God. I don't know if you've heard of popular author and, and pastor Tim Keller. 
Uh, he went to be with the Lord on May 19th of this year. But he told a story about one of his former college professors who had two young women who had become Christians in his class. And he was teaching and deciding, or that he was teaching them, he, they decided they were going to give their lives to be missionaries. And so they had went home on one of their breaks, and they went home and told their parents. And their parents responded with something like this. They said, girls, you know, it's wonderful that you've had some kind of religious experience, but, but you really need some security before you go out on an adventure like that. They said, you need at least get your master's degree. So they come back to school, and they tell the professor what their parents had said, and they asked them, they said, listen, what should we say? What, what do we say to our parents? And the, the professor said, tell them this. You go home and tell them that we are on a little ball of rock spinning through space called Earth. And who knows if it's going to run into something or not. But even if we don't, someday a trap door is going to fall under us and open up under us and we will fall into the everlasting arms of God. And you think that a master's degree is going to give you some kind of security when that happens? That's called reality. That's reality. Listen, whether it's a barn full of grain, a bank account full of money, a master's degree, a national championship, a profitable company, or a boat, it won't give you what you're searching for, much less what you need. Guys, Paul Tripp said it best. Material things are a miserable place to look for life. Miserable. I mean, after all, that, that's why this man who interrupted Jesus interrupted him. He was living under the illusion that if he could just squeeze a little more money out of his brother, then he could actually buy a little more life for himself. But guys, we can't buy life. Trying to fulfill ourselves with material possessions, it'll always leave us empty, always. And Jesus tells us that there's a better way to live than trying to monopolize everything for ourselves. He says it in verse 21 when he says, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Guys, God wants us to think about what it would be like to be the man in this story. Think about it. Wealthy, historic bumper crop. I mean, all your hopes and dreams are realized. And you buy the big house in the neighborhood of your dreams. And on the very first night, you climb into that big old bed, dreaming of all the places you're going to go, the food you're going to eat, the wine you're going to drink, the people you're going to meet. But the very next person you meet is your maker. And the kids will all fight over your stuff while you're face to face with your creator. What would that moment be like to live your entire life as if there's no God only to find out that you were wrong? The guy in the story, he left a legacy of selfishness and greed. And listen, it could have been different. It didn't have to be that way. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in this story, is that, listen, it could be different for you. But to live our lives being poor towards God and rich towards ourselves, guys, that's the worst way to live. And you know what? That's the problem with the game Monopoly. 
I mean, it takes a lot of time passing go and collecting $200 and going to jail and trying to get out and free parking. And you got this little dog and thimble moving everywhere. And there's houses and hotels and taxes. And, and you know what? In the end, it all goes back in the box. Right? Even if you win the game, it all goes back in the box. And that's really why I don't like playing the board game as much as the video game, because in the end, it all goes back in the box. And I remember a great theologian named Mr. Miyagi on The Karate Kid. He said it like this. He said, never put passion before principle. Why? Because even if you win, you still lose. And if you live your life like that, in the end, even if you think you've won, you still lose. Guys, the best way to live is what Jesus calls being rich towards God. That just simply means to care about the things that God cares about, to love the people that God loves. And you may be sitting here thinking this morning, I don't know, you may be thinking, you know, well, that's fine and dandy, but I'm not rich, so I don't really struggle with greed. I mean, we live in one of the poorest counties in the nation, so this sermon isn't really relevant. You probably should have picked something else. What if I told you that everybody in this room, that you're rich, you may not think you're rich, but you are rich. All of us in the room, by any measure, are already rich compared to the rest of the world. And we've talked about this here before, I know, but if you have clothes on your back and you have a roof over your head, you know where your next meal is coming from and you have some type of transportation, even if it's public transportation, you are wealthier, listen, than 92% of the rest of the world. Are you rich? We have been blessed by God in this country. If we would just realize that, how would that change things for you? Wouldn't that change the way that we live our lives? Wouldn't that cause us to kind of loosen our grip on all the things that we have been falsely believing would give us life? I mean, the truth is Jesus talked a lot about money. He talked more about money than heaven or hell combined. He talked about how money is the best indicator of where our heart is. Because if you really want to know, um, if you really want to know what people care about, just follow the way that they spend two things, their money and their time. Right? If you want to, if you want to care about eternal things, then we should reallocate most of our money and most of our time from temporary things to eternal things and just watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because I'm telling you, the Bible says it, as surely as the compass needle follows north, our hearts follow our treasure. Where money leads, our hearts will follow. The Bible says it in Matthew, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so I'm, I'm going to close in just a minute. But one of the things I love about our church is that for the size of it, people really do give generously here and sacrificially to the things of God. And many of you sitting here have given a lot over the years so that we can support missionaries overseas and locally. And some of you have given so that kids can, can go to camp and they come back with a salvation story. I mean, what a better investment. What's a better investment? Buying someone a sixth Christmas present or sending a kid to camp, Right? I mean, you've invested in life groups and the environments that they provide, and we are beginning to see the fruits of that years later. 
And for me, I was just thinking about this this week, knowing that the year, that years from now, years from now, the baton of leadership of this church will be passed on to the younger generation at our church. That makes me smile. Why? Because we are investing in that generation. Did you know that there are many once prominent churches around here that are at the brink of closing their doors because they've not invested in that younger generation? I mean, the truth is, I was thinking about this week, we're doing a lot of things right around here. We are. We're seeing lives change. We see people get saved and baptized. And guys, that never gets old. It never gets old. But you know what does get old? Boats, cars, houses. They rust, they wear out, they lose their luster. But God, but God and the things that he cares about never do, never do. So go home today, play Monopoly with your kids, your family, your friends. Just don't play it in reality. Just don't play it in the game of life. Let's give everything we have to chasing after the one who made it all. That's my challenge for you this morning. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know who Jesus even is, if you would like to start a relationship with him today, just simply confess that to him. Own that you are a sinner just like the rest of us. Trust in what Jesus did on that cross to forgive you of those sins and just simply humbly ask him to be your Lord and Savior. It can happen today. You can go from lost to found. You can go from greedy to generous. That's my prayer for you today. Let me pray as the, as the band comes forward. Father, I thank you for this scripture that we study today in Luke. But God, I, I pray that we would use it to not become like that guy. That we would learn the lesson that you communicated to that crowd back then. That there's a better way to live. So for those of us in the room who may be caught up just chasing things that don't matter, I pray today it would end. Would you just convict our hearts and, and let, let us just humbly repent and know you're standing there with arms wide open just ready to welcome us back, to say, hey, I know you screwed up, but it's never too late to start doing the right thing and simply help us to follow Jesus in this area. God, I pray that you would change some hearts this morning in this area so people can really live, so they can truly see what life's about, so we don't get to the end and look back at our lives and think, man, that was all about me. And where's everybody at? There's nobody here, it's just me. Father, we want to do life with you. We want to do life your way. So just show us where we need to change and repent and just help us to humbly do so. Thank you for teaching us this truth this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.